Yeah, you've already had six people move out, so they were able to use this just to kind of get back on their feet, and then... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And there are many people in this situation. They are caught in transitional uh, situations because of circumstances in their life uh, that have created uh, homelessness, but they've also been in the job market previously, and um, they've had their own place previously. Mm -hmm. So it's not as though they're starting from total scratch. Um, I have a TV, I have a radio, I mean, um, the, um, the tiny house committee has, uh, granted me to have my cat, who is my support animal, to live with me. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. A little over a month ago, the very first residents moved into Jefferson Spaces. That is the community of so-called tiny homes located at Jefferson Avenue and Martin Luther King Drive. There are 50 homes and 44 people are now living on the site. Last week, St. Louis Public Radio reporter Kayla Drake paid Jefferson Spaces a visit. She got to speak with new resident Shannon Bounds. Shannon had been sleeping in an abandoned warehouse, but that burned down. Now Shannon and her partner are in a tiny home. There's uh, two beds in there for me and my fiancé, and then there's a desk, and then we got a TV. Um, It's kind of like a little cozy home. Now, the tiny homes are not just for anybody. They're officially a, quote, community of transitional mini-shelters for the unhoused. The city launched the project with $600,000 in federal CARES Act funding, and it hired the local nonprofit Magdala Foundation to operate Jefferson Spaces as a transition point to get people into more permanent housing. And joining us today to talk about that work is Tom Mangonia. He's the president and CEO of the Magdala Foundation. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be with you. And in full disclosure, I do want to note that my husband is on the board of the Magdala Foundation. He does not receive any compensation for that role. And we're also joined today by Florine McBride. She's a resident of Jefferson Spaces. Florine, welcome. Hi. So, Florine, when did you first move in to Jefferson Spaces? Um, a little over two weeks ago. So where had you been living before that? Um... In different in different areas, I was in Illinois in Washington Park for a while in a homeless uh, camp there. And so, what did the application process look like for you? Um, it, it was simple it was, and it was easy. You know, you just answered basic questions about so, your you know situation. So, Tom, what kind of requirements do you have for applicants who'd want to be living on site? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, Actually, they have to be obviously homeless. Uh, They have to be um, on track to be able to gain employment in the not-too-distant future and uh, also to be able to enter into the housing uh, market, the regular housing market. But we have a three- to six-month period in which that can be achieved. Um, But pretty much it's a very straightforward proposition um, there are no restrictions that the person happens to have issues with uh, substance abuse or mental health issues. That does not disqualify them to enter the program at all. Hmm. And, uh, of course, we have such people uh, in the program now. 
So you have 44 residents on site, although I'm told that number continues to grow. Is it still at 44? It is at 44 today, but we have, uh, I think it is six intake interviews scheduled over the next few days. Um, And I suspect, talking to the site director, I think that by next week we're probably going to start a waiting list. Hmm. So you'll be completely full. That's got to be exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, There's been a great response to the program, um, both in the part of the homeless community as well as the agencies that serve the homeless. And um, it's it's we've already had uh, several people graduate into their own um, homes and in their jobs and uh, about six so far, which is pretty good based on the length of time that we've been in operation. We just began receiving clients on the 16th of January. Uh, so, um, you know, we're moving along at a, a pace I'm, I'm happy with. Yeah, you've already had six people move out, so they were able to use this just to kind of get back on their feet, and then... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And there are many people in this situation, they are caught in transitional uh, situations because of circumstances in their life uh, that have created uh, homelessness. But they've also been in the job market previously, and um, they've had their own place previously. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though they're starting from total scratch, but they are in a situation now where they are on the street, and um, that can be very devastating. Uh, it does something to one's self-image as well as self-confidence when you've lost your home, you've lost your job, um, and you begin to lose confidence in yourself. So. Part of that process is to help them regain that confidence and get back into the mainstream. So, Florine, um, for you, I'm, I'm curious to hear about your tiny house. What, what kind of amenities do you have in there? Um, I have a TV. I have a radio. I mean, um, the, um, the tiny house committee has uh, granted me to have my cat, who is my support animal, to live with me. And um, I do want to mention, as, as far as this cat goes, uh, Tom, I understand that initially the staff was not sure about this cat, but you guys have come around. I'm not sure about what, Sarah. Not sure about Florine's cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's a service animal, uh, you know, we certainly allow for that. Okay. So, Florine, that had to have been a huge relief to be able to have your cat uh, come with you. Yeah, because he was out in the... Um, warehouse where I had him in, you know, zero below weather, and I was worried. So you mentioned bad weather. You know, we certainly had some bad weather in the past couple weeks, and that's been weather that you've been able to to live in your tiny home. How did it stand up to, I mean, frankly, the cold was just awful. Was it warm enough within your house? Absolutely, absolutely. It was, you know, I was, um, I was, I was, you know, surprised that it withheld you know, the zero below weather. Hmm. Tom, I understand you also have some, some services and amenities on site that are outside the doors of the individual home, but once people are on site, they can avail themselves of them. Uh, what, what are some of these uh, amenities you have? Well, I can answer. Uh, they have the, all of their um, bathing facilities and uh, toilet facilities are in the main building. Uh, washers and dryers in the main building. Food is served up in the main building also. Uh, they come up, they get their food, they can take it back to their tiny homes. Uh, if they've had to delay themselves in getting up to get the food, 
there's a microwave or a couple of microwaves up there. They can reheat their food and take it back with them. Um, there also are computers up there um, for people to do job searches, apartment searches. Uh, and they do that with the assistance of our staff. Uh, and there are a couple of offices up there that we're going to start uh, individual and group uh, counseling meetings. Hmm. So, Florine, it sounds like there's some spaces where people can interact if they want to with other residents. Have you found that people are friendly with each other and it's starting to build a community? Uh, yes. Um, most, not all of the um, residents here I am acquainted with. Oh, so you already knew them even even before moving in? Yeah, some, some of them. Can that does that bring some complications? Maybe it's it's hard to get along with people that you wouldn't necessarily choose to have them be your next door neighbor, and and there they are. Well, I'm I'm a pretty easy person to get along with, so I don't know if it's hard for them to get along with me. I hope not. Well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, Tom, so far has it been a pretty peaceful and and community minded uh, group of people? It has. There have been a couple of incidents with individuals who have had specific mm, issues, personal issues, um, like crack that uh, obviously put them over the edge. Um, but that's only been a couple of instances. Also, when you take a look at the layout of the houses and the fact that they have their own lock, uh, you can lock yourself in if you like. Obviously, people do when they leave. But there's enough space that you don't really have to interact with somebody you don't want to interact with, mm-hmm. but you can interact with whoever you do want to interact with. So it's really flexibility there in terms of the way it's laid out. We're talking today to Tom Mangonia. He's the president and CEO of the Magdala Foundation, which is uh, the city has hired this nonprofit to operate Jefferson Spaces. That's the tiny homes community on Jefferson and Martin Luther King Drive. It's meant to be a transition point to get people into more permanent housing. We're also joined by Florine McBride. She is a resident of Jefferson Spaces. She's been living there for the past couple weeks. Now, Tom, I want to ask you about something. The city has taken some criticism lately from housing advocates for funding this project, and people are sort of positioned it as they chose to fund this instead of short-term shelter. We had Alex Cohen. He's an organizer with Tent Mission STL. He was on our show last week, and he brought up the tiny houses. Let's listen to what he said. Hundreds of thousands of dollars they spent on that, and it's a good model. But again, what is making it now a bad model is that it is a high barrier to get into. And just last night, I'm hearing peer support workers who Um, You know, people who have direct experience with homelessness or drug use and work with the community, um, they're already saying that they're starting to hear people say it sounds like a prison. There's a 9 p.m. curfew. People are getting kicked out for nothing. And so here we have hundreds of thousands of dollars being invested into a shelter model that's supposed to be transitional housing that's high barrier and prison-like. And that is Alex Cohen of Tent Mission STL, um, who brought this up on our show. This was last Friday. Um, Tom, he's saying this is prison-like. I'd I'd love for you to address that. Yeah, it absolutely is not. There is a curfew at 9 o'clock at night, and gates are locked at that time. But during the day, most of the people are out. They're gone. Um, They're free to do what they want during the day if they have no activities there on the site. Uh, They do uh, take off, and they come back in time for curfew. It is far from any kind of a prison setting, and the barriers are not high to get in. As I said, it's very simple. I think Florine mentioned uh, she just answered a few simple questions, and um, she was admitted. Um, 
drug abuse and uh, substance, let's say substance abuse, um, mental health issues, neither of those are barriers to get in. So mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what he's talking about. Um, and this is not meant for uh, a long-term homeless population. Uh, it was made very clear by the city that this was the transitional housing people that got caught up and, and got homeless and, and need a really a, a way to get started again. And that's what it's meant for. On the other hand, I think it needs to be pointed out mm-hmm. that the city has several other shelters that address the needs that uh, the gentleman was speaking about. And um, they have quite a few beds out there right now. Uh, we are actually a contractor for another one of those programs where between two subcontractors, we have 70 beds alone. Hmm. But City Hope, which is a large contractor with the city, has close to, I think, it's 250 beds grand total. Uh, they have a place called Biddle House, which is 100 beds alone. And then they have a sister's mission. I think it's another uh, 50 beds or so there. Plus, they have some other homeless shelters that they operate. So the, the city is really funded um, extensively. Um, the homeless um, situation, both this type and the long-term type of homeless situation. So I, I can't agree with the gentleman's observations. They don't square with the reality that we're experiencing at the Tiny Homes Project. And, and I do want to ask you specifically, he said people have been um, getting kicked out. You did mention there was a, a person who had a crack problem. I can understand that could be disruptive sure. to the community. Have there been others who've been kicked out so far as well? I think a grand, uh, I think a grand total so far, three have been asked to leave. Uh, one simply would not observe curfew. And we talked to him uh, several times and asked him, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Hmm. One of the things that you, can, you agree to, and the, the agreements are very simple. Uh, it's a one-page agreement. You do abide by the rules. You do abide by the curfew. And if you don't want to do that, that is certainly your choice. Mm-hmm. But that is a choice you're making. And then, of course, the choice leads to us referring you elsewhere. We don't just, quote, kick them out. We also contact other agencies to see if they can accept them. Florine, I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. Um, have you heard some of this criticism that, that people feel like it's too restrictive? And, and has that been your experience? Um, not really. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult sometimes with the curfew being nine o'clock, but, you know, it can be managed. Mm-hmm. So far, you haven't had any problem with that? No, I, I, I've recently had some deaths in my family, so that it became a little difficult, but they understood. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, people can get beyond, you know, the difficulties of the curfew or whatever they feel is a pretty a prison-like setting. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the difficulty with that curfew was just that you were dealing with some family stuff that, that called you off-site. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes, ma'am, because um, my aunt, had, oh, three of my cousins had, um, got killed, and so, you know, it was difficult for me to deal with my family mm-hmm. during their griefs. Tom, bigger picture, we, we mentioned the city has put $600,000 in CARES funding, CARES Act funding into this project. Is there a longer-term revenue stream to keep this going after that? My understanding is there is. Uh, the city, of course, is handling that revenue stream. But as my understanding, they have a three-year plan to keep this funded for three years at a very minimum. So what's most exciting to you as you look ahead at three years of this project? Do you see this making a big difference? 
I do. And I also see the city possibly expanding this project uh, as a potential to expand it down the road, maybe add another 25 tiny homes. Um, But I think the model is great for a segment of our homeless population that this is designed for. And if we have the kind of success that I believe we're going to have and we're beginning to have, placing people rather rapidly back into the job stream uh, and the home, the regular home market, and just moving them out and moving others in their situation back into our uh, project. Yeah, I think this is a great model, and um, I'm, I'm excited about the potential for it. Well, Tom Mangonia, uh, President and CEO of the Magdala Foundation, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing about this. Thank you very much, Sarah. I appreciate coming on. And Florine McBride, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It, it sounds like you've been dealing with some hard stuff in the past couple of weeks, but we're glad that, that you and your cat are safe and, and warm, and we want to wish you just the best of luck. Thank you very much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.